You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Monster House presents... Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at patreon.com forward slash monster talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations. Hey, that's a funny looking deck, man. How do you play poker with these? <laughs> They're tarot cards. You are familiar with the tarot? I wouldn't say that, but I've seen the cards before. Dr. Shrek. Doctor of metaphysics? The science which investigates the first principles of nature and thought. And nonsense. Shrek is a German word, isn't it? It means fright, uh, fear, something like that. The more exact translation would be terror. An unfortunate misnomer, for I am the mildest of men. However... I sometimes foretell things that are frightening. With these? They are the key, yes. The key? The key to what? Ancient wisdom. The tarot deck is a picture book of life. An answer to the deepest questions of philosophy and history. And sometimes a means of prediction. Like uh, fortune telling? Ravika. What kind? There is, within each of us, a twin destiny. The natural and the supernatural. The cards are attracted to the supernatural part of that destiny as one pole of a magnet attracts an opposite pole. Supernatural part? The strange, the weird, the unknown, the terrifying, the mysterious. At one time or another, during our lives, we may, any one of us, encounter it. This deck can forewarn us. I call it my house of horrors. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog.
Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. That excerpt in the introduction was a clip from the 1965 horror film Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. It's a fun horror movie from Amicus Films, a small studio that specialized in what Americans call anthology films and what the Brits usually refer to as a portmanteau movie. That was Peter Cushing as Dr. Terror, and the rest of the cast includes Christopher Lee and Donald Sutherland, among others, with the vignettes of the tale being anchored together with the framing story of Dr. Terror reading the fortunes of fellow passengers in a train compartment. But before we get into our episode, first, a little business. Today is the first episode in a new format for Monster Talk. I'll talk more about this in the body of our discussion, but the quick version is we're changing to a weekly format and are committed to this schedule at least to the end of 2022. Our research suggests that podcast audiences want frequent episodes released regularly and, perhaps because of changes in driving and commute behavior, that shorter episodes are preferred. But don't panic. Even though we'll have shorter episodes, that won't equate with shallower research. Our plan is to continue to bring you strange and unusual stories about monsters and monster-adjacent content and to use that content to promote science and critical thinking. If you're a long-time listener, we hope you'll be patient and give this approach a try. And if you're new to the show, we hope you'll dive in and listen to our back catalog as well as enjoying our latest releases. Patreon backers will continue to get extended commercial-free versions of the show. This episode also kicks off Season 2! Going forward, we plan to start new seasons each October because we're big fans of Halloween and the spooky season. So starting our new format in our favorite month feels right. Now that we've dealt with that business, let's shuffle on to our tarot research, a topic we think will suit you. Monster Talk. Karen and I are going to change formats a little bit. We're going to try, well, we're going to do it. We're doing this. We're switching mm -hmm. to a weekly format. It's an experiment, but we're going to stick with it for the rest of this year for sure and see how it goes. Yeah. Um, uh, so mm -hmm. that's, you can, you can look forward to an episode every week from now until the end of 2022 and maybe beyond, but that's at least the current plan. Hopefully beyond. Yeah. I mean, people want more monster talk, so we're mm -hmm. giving it to them. And I am excited because we're going to talk today about the history of tarot. Um, now, I am going to be talking about tarot, the divination everybody's familiar with, but I'm also going to talk about the mm -hmm. game. And um, if you'll indulge me, I want to tell a little story about why I want to talk about this topic. Go for it. Okay, super. <laughs> I was looking for your uh, <laughs> explicit permission. <laughs> All right. So my family, uh, we like to go to bookstores. That's what we do. That's our thing. We like Us books. Us too. Yeah. And so I have always said fewer of them yeah. than they used to be. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but we and we love a secondhand bookstore. We love to give you know. Uh, new homes to old books, that sort of thing. My daughter, Madeline, I'm going to go ahead and name and shame. Um, she <laughs> is is my most, um, let's say, occult curious family member. Um, so she was the first one to ask to get uh, a Ouija board, for example. Um, and mm. one day we were at the bookstore and they have a, a at our used bookstore near us, we, they have a really large occult section uh, with mm. all kinds of things about uh, witchcraft, Wicca, uh, astrology, New Age stuff. And, you know, I'm always over there because I'm always looking for ghost books and monster books. But uh, they also have a big uh, bin full of tarot cards. And she mm -hmm. found a tarot deck 
uh, and there's a lot of different artwork on these now. They're qu- it's, there's quite an industry built up oh, around yeah. this. And, and she found a deck that she wanted to buy. And I was concerned uh, because I, I didn't want her to just hop right into the divination into the pool without being aware that the, the history of it included uh, like a, a card game. And just mm-hmm. a, a bit. and so I said, look, I'll buy you this this uh, this tarot deck. But what I want from you is a 500 word report on the history of how it switched from being a card game into a divination tool. <laughs> oh, you're a hard taskmaster. <laughs> well, I suck is what the actual thing is. It's like because what I what I should have done is said, yes, I'll buy this for you upon receipt of a report. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I was like, a year goes by and she still hasn't given me the report. And I'm like, okay, listen, I don't believe you're going to fulfill your obligation. So I, I'm getting ready to do... You're going to take them back? And I'm not going to take them back, but I said, you have to understand where this comes from. So I'm going to do a monster talk on this. And although it's regular feed content, I mean, it really fits in nicely with our history of magic series we've been doing intermittently. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that'll it, teach her. And it, right, exactly. Yeah. You have to listen to this because I want you to know where it comes from. So, uh, and I and I learned a lot preparing for this. So I, I feel well informed. I find it interesting that you talk about this originally being a game because I think most people today think about tarot cards in terms of a system of divination, predicting the future, fortune telling. I don't think most people think or know that it was once a game. Yeah, certainly not in America and in English-speaking countries. It turns out uh, if you are in French-speaking countries, uh, tarot, the card game, is still extremely popular. Uh, So the card game... I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. So there's a cool video. I I put a link in the show notes. Um, There's a cool video that explains how the game is played. And it is a... uh, It's called a trick-taking game. So uh, I'm trying to think like some other games like trick games are like Euchre or Hearts or Bridge, where each round, everybody has to play a card. And then each round, Mm -hmm. someone gets to take those cards for points. And there's all kinds of interesting rules about how the points work. But it is a multi-round game and you try to take the most tricks and get the most points. It is, um, and it's played with, it's a little bit different from a regular card deck uh, or like American playing cards or traditional, you know, poker cards, for example. You know, a traditional poker deck has four suits. Like we would think of hearts, clubs, diamonds, and spades. But um, there are other suits. For example, Spain and Italy had cups, coins, and swords. Chinese cards had uh, suits that were based on money. There's bells, tiles, acorns, shields, leaves. So just you basically need four easy-to-spot symbols. And and if you think about it, card games are kind of a technology. They've evolved over time, right? So as as better paper-making and and, and reproductions, you know, have come along, they've they've changed and improved. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that you compared tarot to bridge because I, I keep reading about that and hearing about that as well. And um, I, I have never played bridge myself. I've often just associated it with, I guess, older people uh-huh. playing it uh, on a cruise ship or something like that. I always associate uh, it with like but, a like a yeah. like a upper classy kind of thing, like you know, something that people wealthy people with time do. I don't. <laughs> that's not really fair, but that's the way Sit it, around it, it and sits in my play head. Play bridge, yep. Uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, there is that uh, relation there and similarity. 
And I don't think most players of bridge would, would see that or recognize that. Maybe not. I mean, I imagine but, if you showed them the game, they would certainly quickly pick up on it because it is really see the similarities. Yeah, it's it's it. What's different about it is you've got your four suits um, of cards, mm-hmm. and then you've got this extra, uh, which are called trump cards, and there's twenty one of those, and they can be used in play. Uh, depending on which rule set you're playing with. So that they might be able to, you would normally have to play within like a sequence or you'd have to play a color or you'd have to play a suit, but you might be able to pull mm-hmm. from your Trump deck and then, uh, you know, and then someone else might have to pull from their Trump deck. And then there's like, you know, the, the numeric value can matter. There's the rules of the mm-hmm. game are complicated, but, but understandable. Uh, the, this little YouTube video was about right. nine minutes long and it, it made perfect sense to me. I didn't feel like I could sit down and play immediately, but it, it was it was not too complicated. The point calculation was yeah. I mean that, that's yeah. what I've heard too. But you you mentioned uh, like Chinese cards, and I, I think that's one of the things I kept coming across were these uh, references to tarot having its roots in either the I Ching uh, Chinese cards of some kind or uh, Egyptian playing cards mm-hmm. too. And you mentioned European countries, so France and Italy. Uh, so I've heard these two two schools of thought that tarot cards go back to uh, Europe, maybe the 14th century or 15th century, or that they go all the way back to, to ancient China or ancient Egypt or even ancient Greece or Rome. What, uh, what do you make of all of those different theories and claims? It's, so there's a really easy way to sort of dig cut through that uh and that is not a card pun uh but in order (laughs) (laughs) in order to play cards (laughs) you need to have mastered the technology of paper and so we know that the ancient egyptians did not have paper nor did the ancient greeks very good point Papyrus, so right. Papyrus actually doesn't make good uh, playing cards because it, it's almost like a weave, and it kind of falls apart uh, if you try to make cards out of it. Um, but it, never thought about it, but yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> like as soon as you think of, oh yeah, I guess you would need paper. So the Chinese mm-hmm. had mastered paper by the year one thousand uh, AD or CE. Um, okay. And we have references to something that sounds like card playing back into the 10th century CE. But uh, it's not until the 1100s and 1200s that we for sure know there's textual records of not only the names of the game, but the games were being played with cards. So the likeliest path is Chinese uh, game developers developed card playing and then it migrated to the Middle East where it developed into something kind of like what we would think of as modern poker playing cards and then that was the standard deck for a long time Um, around the 1300s the game of tarot was developed in Italy and it had the again, they had the four suits plus the trump decks, and these were these were like mm-hmm. things you would have commissioned. These were not mass produced, so the games existed in cheaper forms. But families with money would you know commission artists to make one of a kind card decks. So a lot of the ones we have in museums are 
where someone's produced a page of cards, but they never cut them, so they survived, mm. right? Uh, whereas if you wow. played if you played with them, they would probably not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how interesting that is to to think about them in a different format. Uh huh. In fact, if you go look, got lots and lots of links for this episode. Um, there are some really good books on this. Uh, in fact, let's hold off mm-hmm. on discussing what books I use for researching this, but. Uh, the big problem with these books is that they were often only printed once, even though it's some great research. They're not uh, easily found. So uh, right. you might have to look for, online for a PDF. Or, uh, the, I'm always concerned about the legality of this the Scribd.com website. I use it, and it's an incredible source for information. Copyright be damned. It, it's awesome. It's yeah. like you pay, yeah. you pay a fee. I don't know. I'm hoping the money gets back to right. the authors. Well, I was going to say, you pay a fee too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You but hope. It, it's a, like I, for doing research for this show, Scribd, um, uh, Kindle, newspapers.com, all of which I could not afford if it weren't for our helpful patron support. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> they really make this possible. But yeah, the, the, there's some great books on this, and they have pictures of these uncut card sheets and of the artwork and how it's changed over time. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Let's let's if you will recall during our series on magic we've discussed the rise of western esotericism that's episodes 150 and 151 which were on western esotericism and Aleister Crowley which is alongside the I hear a pun in that somewhere uh, well there's probably going to be some. <laughs> You'll just have to deal with yeah, it. Sounds so, sounded like terror, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Western esotericism. Yeah, nice. Yes. You know what, Karen? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you the points for that one because I didn't think of it. That's you. But congratulations. Well, well, even when you don't try. <laughs> so I sat down and was reading up on this, and um, I came across a particular book called "A Wicked Pack of Cards: Origins of the Occult Tarot" by Michael. Dummett and Ronald Decker, very smart guy, philosopher, historian. And one of the things he got really interested in was uh, uh, tarot and the game and the occult side Mm -hmm. of it. So 
Uh, he's written several books. Uh, he's passed away, but he wrote one in 1980 that's all about the origins of the game. It goes into deep detail about the various decks that have been produced all the way up to 1980 and, you know, how the game is played. You know, again, it, it still exists. You can still go to casinos and stuff and play tarot uh, in French-speaking countries, probably in other places too, but, like, it's still very popular. Wow, that. That's amazing. I had had no idea. I had no idea either. Really interesting, but I, I, I guess this is kind of where you're headed. But what I'm wondering is at what points did this go from being a, a card game to having some kind of mystical meaning or purpose and usage? There is a deck that's called the Tarot of Marseille, and it's an Italian tarot deck that becomes super popular in the 1600s and 1700s. I would have thought that'd be French, Marseille. That's the interesting. It's an Italian deck that gets imported into France where it blows up. It becomes a huge popular deck. And it's used in card gaming, but it's also used by cardomancers. And we should discuss here for a moment the process of divination through the use mm -hmm. of cards is called cardomancy. I think that term is used, or mancy is, the, the suffix is used for a lot of different kinds of divination, <laughs> uh, like bibliomancy yes. as well, uh, fortune-telling using the Bible or the, the Torah or the Quran. I mean, really, you can use any kind of book or you could use anything for, uh, for divination. Yes, anything with a random factor, yeah. Well, okay, if I can mention my, my book, Language, Myths, Mysteries, and Magic here. I've got a whole, whole chapter on divination. I'm sorry. We don't have time for a commercial. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is all about. But uh, I write about the, the casting of lots and how you, you could really use anything. It, historically, people would use sticks, stones, and bones, and coins, and shells, and things like that. And, of course, today we're familiar with people reading tea leaves and coffee grounds and crystal balls. And uh, I think in the past we've certainly spoken about palmistry and, and uh, reading hands. And mm. I've written articles in the past about people reading things like toes and even bottoms. I think it was Sylvester Stallone's mother. Yes, yes. Seems to be psychic and says that she can read people's backsides. She did. She She's passed away. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I, I do write about that in my book. And I mean, that's possibly for another topic too because there's just so many different forms of, of fortune telling you would tell her about your hopes and dreams and, she, and then and then she wrecked them <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> uh, well we will have to talk a little bit later about so i don't know if you've ever had a tarot reading or done a tarot reading absolutely well we, we shall we shall discuss that Wikipedia has a page about forms of divination, and they list more than 400 different things that people use to try to predict the future. With more than 400 specialized words for forms of divination, I'm just going to mention a few to give you some idea of the scope of how randomness can be used to give a sense of predictive power. Some of these techniques have elaborate rituals and systems, while others just seem to be like dice, or there's just randomness in the system, and therefore it can be used to make a choice. Math, planets, animal guts, the wind, arrows, smoke, cards, sticks, overheard words and conversations, the mutterings of madmen, dreams, calendars, blood, body fluids, eye color, the moon, tea leaves, candle wax, coins, fire, biblical texts, gazing into liquids or mirrors, 
and on and on. Which I think, like that, that you were saying, sticks and stones will break your bones, but they can also tell the future. What? <laughs> sticks and stones, yeah. But previous guest of ours, uh, Lynn Kelly, she had come up with her own system of divination. I think it's called Toromancy, and I think it was using a pick-up sticks or something similar to that. But really, um, you could truly use anything. But I think uh, in terms of just aesthetics and art, tarot cards are very beautiful. And, they are. They are. Uh, you know, we, you've already touched upon the different kinds of decks that you can find. And um, today you can certainly find a lot of really fun ones uh, on Amazon or just online in general or even at the bookstore. Um, you know, I've seen ones like uh, the, the Simpsons cards and uh, a, a Golden Girls tarot deck, cat-themed ones that you would really love. You're a big cat fan. Oh, huge and, cat uh, fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also came across a, a classic rock tarot, uh, which had Ozzy Osbourne as death and Axl Rose as the fool. I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, amusing to see him on a tarot since he's got that song, Mr. Crowley. And Alistair Crowley, who he's actually singing about, but mispronouncing his name. Nice lead in. Uh, famously produced a deck as well. But let's, before we hop into the... Uh, the late Victorian period. Let's let's go back to the 1700s, where after 400 years of traditional card play, suddenly cardamancy becomes all the rage. All right. So what mm-hmm. happens is this uh, Marseille deck is quite popular, and uh, there is a guy named Jean Baptiste Alliet who is mm-hmm. a Frenchman and uh, a bit of a rogue and a writer. And he invents a form of card divination using what's called a stripped deck. It's like a 32-card uh, deck of cards. They call it a piquette deck. Um, it's a standard okay. playing card deck with the two to six cards removed. So you just have the seven through 10 and then the face cards. Uh, it is interesting that okay. a lot of these tarot decks uh, traditionally didn't have a queen card. They had other face cards, but they did not have a queen. Uh, hmm. I, it's, it, it may, if you're listening to this and you already know lots and lots about tarot, you may be disappointed in how little I'm going to get into the symbolism in this, in this discussion. And that is not because I don't care about it. Far from it. I care a lot about it. But it is so broad it's so important to it to the whole process yet there's so many different decks with so many different meanings and then oh, other, like different interpretations exactly and so it's like it's it, that is a yeah. hours and hours and hours and you would never be done it's, it's just so i rather th- we're just going to step back from that level of, of inquiry and just work here through these the, the sort of the the broader yeah, stuff. So. Can be the subject for another show sometime. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, Jean-Baptiste Alliette uh, also goes by the name Attila or Attila or maybe poorly what was his Attila. name backwards or something? Yeah, it is his name backwards. Name? Exactly. It's his writing name. So, so it's just a nom de plume. He, so he writes a book called Etiella or A Way to Entertain Yourself with a Deck of Cards. And it it is a explanation of how to use uh, cards to tell the future. And largely as a form of entertainment, you know, he's not trying to get in trouble for, you know, being a witch or anything like that. It's, it's, it's 
1770. So it's really the mm-hmm. Enlightenment, it, which, it, which is interesting because what I'm about to reveal is that the tarot, as we understand it, is about the same age as America as a democracy, as a country. It's, it's, uh, it's right the same period yes. of time. Yep. That's like, how old it is. It does not go yeah. back to ancient Egypt. <laughs> right. Uh, in, uh, so I'm just going to read a little excerpt from Wikipedia. Like, unlike most things, <laughs> I think it's a fair enough kind of assumption or guess because so many things do go back to ancient societies. Well, it does, I mean, you know, divination certainly goes way back. And, but what was happening in the late 1700s, France was going through this, what everybody calls Egyptomania. Like they, everybody was interested in Egypt. And then keep in mind, this is still before Napoleon takes troops to Egypt and actually conquers it, right? Just culturally, everybody's really interested in Egypt. So again, I'm going to mm-hmm. read from Wikipedia. In 1781, the French-Swiss Protestant clergyman and occultist Antoine Court, who named himself Courtijeblin, uh, I believe is how that's pronounced. It could be Gebelin, but I don't think so. Uh, it's Courtijeblin. He published a massive work, Le Monde Primitive, The Primitive World, and his idea that the tarot was actually an ancient Egyptian book of arcane wisdom. His work included the essay by the Comte de Millet, who first called tarot cards the Book of Toth, or Thoth, or Tot, and crucially claimed that the Egyptians used the cards for fortune-telling and described what purported to be their method of divination. Now, that's after the 1770 book, which was using regular playing cards, right? So different guy, same period of time, comes out and says, look, I've looked at this Marseille deck. I've looked at these cards. These are not just playing cards. These are actually artistic representations of ancient tablets from Egypt, and they have secret wisdom in them. It is the book of Toth, or Thoth, or Thoth. <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce yeah. that, but the ibis-headed take, god. Take of the, your pick. Yeah. It, it, it's the secret of this. It is brought out of Egypt uh, and hidden, as the word occult means hidden. It's hidden in these cards, and they're actually able to tell the future. So, this book is wow. super popular, and Aliette goes back and writes a sequel book called Tarot, <laughs> or How to Entertain Yourself with the Deck of Cards called Tarot in 1785. And that, in, mm-hmm. a, in addition to the Marseille deck, is what sort of goes viral. Um, that's what gives us the, uh, the big interest in tarot as divination tool. Right. Makes me think, too, that this is a, an appeal to antiquity. Oh, oh it absolutely is. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Practice well, and, and mm-hmm. we've been doing this for thousands of years. How could it possibly be wrong? And it fits right into the same sort of secrets uh, being told about the Masons and the Illuminati. These secret societies are real, a big part of the, the sort of history of Western esotericism. I mean, this idea that, you know, that there is knowledge uh, about the universe and it's available mm-hmm. to humans, but you just have to know how to decode it. Um, yes. It, it comes <laughs> from mystical practices. Law of attraction. And- Law of attraction. Kabbalah is a big one. Huge. 
Um, people who do tarot will often incorporate astrology and Kabbalah type techniques and uh, arrangements and symbolism into their decks or into the way that they read their decks. I just have to, to comment and say that the story of tarot seems to have everything. It really seems to bring everything together and to touch upon everything you can think of uh, with regards to metaphysical and the occult and supernatural and got it all. Yes. I mean, I mean, keep in mind that without even without the divination stuff, the Trump deck was reproducing a, a sort of medieval worldview in the sense that the cards had a hierarchy that doesn't make a lot of sense to us in the modern world but would have been more culturally available to people, uh, understanding how it goes from like the fool at the bottom to the world at the top, like the, that yes. whole range of what's more important. Absolutely, yeah. Talking about the feudal feudal system and the social structure of the time, yeah, mm-hmm. that's alien to us now. Yes, uh, you know, it might as well be just random pictures. I mean, there are little bits and pieces that that might resonate with us but yes yeah, certainly for a different time but i think that uh, a lot of these terms and labels uh just have been co-opted by us today absolutely uh, in the way that tarot is used i know we did an episode where we talked about western esotericism part of that talks about how in the late 1800s just to narrow it down to you know a century <laughs> in the late decades yeah. of the 1800s yeah. there was the hermetic order of the golden dawn a group of british aristocratic type people upper class people who were interested in the occult and got together and sort of systematized this thinking uh, both in like in ritual magic and ideas about you know how society should be put together it was full of poets mm-hmm. and artists and uh they end up being incredibly influential in a lot of ways. And, and one of the ways they're influential is um, A.E. Waite, who was one of the members, uh, gets really interested in the tarot and wants to make his own deck with his own symbolism. So he partners up with a, an artist named Pamela Coleman Smith, and she illustrates it. They produce the card deck through William Ryder and Sons. And this becomes known as the Ryder Waite deck. I like to think of it as the Ryder Waite Smith deck or the Waite Smith deck because I know it's important that it had a publisher, but in the big picture, it's more about the symbolism and the art. But we do seem to see that a lot that even though uh, these things are often today associated with women, oh, it's women who see psychics, it's women who believe in all these kinds of things. Yes. Uh, you know, often. Men were really at the forefront of these kinds of things, particularly as, as inventions, well, and uh, yeah. would often have women doing the design of the cards. We get the same thing with Alistair Crowley's yes. uh, cards as well, which we'll get into soon. But we yeah, the, the women are often erased from history. Yes, and which is it, which has another kind of irony in that it's a it's sort of a fake history. But let, let me, I'm going to bring this all together here in just a second, or I'm going to try. So. Here's what happens. The the Rider Waite Smith deck becomes very popular. But very popular in tarot at this time is not crazy. I mean it's not like you know, it's not like everybody has one until the nineteen sixties. Yeah. So not not you know, so about about sixty years after the original deck is produced, um, I think it's the American Card Company. There's an American Card Game Company, American Game Company. I forget, so I didn't write that down. But American Tarot Cards were produced by U.S. Games Systems Incorporated, 
which was founded in 1968 by Stuart R. Kaplan, and originally it only produced the Rider Waite Smith Tarot deck, but now produces over 400 proprietary items from over 20 categories, including tarot, playing card games, children's games, etc. An American company decides to reproduce the deck in the heart of the sort of 1960s New Age explosion. And holy crap, it goes super viral. And so suddenly this deck has been now it's been reproduced a hundred million times. I that's not an exaggeration. Like it's Mm. it's like for a card deck, it's really popular. Well, so interesting. I mean, it seems to be following a little bit of a trajectory like the, uh, the Ouija board too. Yep. Uh, but it's interesting that what was a card game, a, a game, and then it becomes this tool for divination and fortune telling and then a game again. And that's how it really goes viral. Yeah. But so well, through it. Well, game, they, I mean, they, they're, anyway. right, it's been published by a game company, but they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. They're doing it as a divination tool publishing this deck but it's being published by a gaming company and it like like the same way that the ouija board is being published by a game company exactly it's a beautiful deck and what happens is people start it's it's lost its copyright at this point and so people see the popularity Uh, and they're like that's cool but i'd rather see it done with x i'd rather see it done with y and a ton ozzy osborne yes exactly A ton of people have redone the decks with their own art or changed the symbolism. And it's mm-hmm. all people sort of riffing on this idea that, again, the idea emerges in the seventeen late 1700s, kind of really mm-hmm. gets properly systematized in the 1800s, and then explodes in popular culture in the 1960s. So you now see all kinds of variants, some based on fictional things, some based on real things, mm-hmm. uh, all with their own allegories and symbolism. So I think the, the Internet age has also reinvigorated the interest in tarot. And yeah. uh, I mean, certainly you can see them in bookstores, but just you find them everywhere online. And I think uh, being skeptics, um, they're still beautiful from an artistic viewpoint. Well, and, they are. Uh, I mean, I've had. I've had tarot decks and Matt, my husband, he's had tarot decks. And uh, I, I think most people I know have, have had them, whether they believe in them or not. Yes. Well, that, there, there you go. Tool of divination. And I, even if you don't believe in them as being able to help you foresee the future, they certainly without a doubt have poetic and symbolic significance for people. Uh, even people who don't literally believe they're going to tell the future, it can give them something to focus mm-hmm. on. It can give them something, uh, you know, the, people will find well, symbolism and parallels with their real life. I mean, and it, it's got that Barnum effect right. sort of built in, right? Yes, and I yeah, I do want to talk about that a little bit too, and just modern uses of of tarot cards. And that's the end of part one of our coverage of tarot. We'll be back next week with part two, where we'll continue to look at how tarot cards are used for divination and their cultural impact. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard part one of our two-part episode on tarot cards. There's a lot more to uncover in part two, so join us next week as we look into the way that mysticism and creativity have added exotic pseudo-antiquity and meaning to what was for centuries a mundane but popular card game. Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. 
home of such shows as Big Picture Science, Good Job Brain, and My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Check out our Monster Talk merchandise at monstertalk.org forward slash store, where you can find a variety of cool products to show that you're a next level monster enthusiast. Monster Talk is produced by Monster House LLC, and our theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks for making our show a part of your listening life. Monster House presentation.